there's nobody better to get us started and help us understand the book, introduce it, and provide the theme than our own Mr. Zanger. So let's welcome back. Uh, thank you. You can you can sit. I'm not worthy of any. Sorry, I'm a mini hot mess up here, so excuse me. As stated, uh, we are opening a new book. It is the book of Colossians, uh, and I have the distinct privilege and honor uh, to open it up to kind of set the course for the semester. Um, so if you were in Philippians, if you had a, a, a bookmark there, you were quite literally just turning the page, one page to Colossians, and there is a joy to introducing the book. So what I'd like to do um, I've been given the first two verses. So with that, my goal is to do two things. Okay, the first part is I want to go over the author, the date, the background, the reason for writing, and fifthly, the theme. So that's, that's part one. And then part two, what I want to do is then trace the theme throughout the Letter, so that you kind of get an overview of how this theme then applies to the letter. So if you would, um, please stand out of respect for the authoritative word of God, the sufficient word of God, the theonistos word of God. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Please be seated and join me in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for this great book. Thank you for the uh, privilege that I have to unpack it, to introduce it. And I pray, Father, quite simply, as, as David prayed. Lord God, may the, may the meditation of my heart, may the thoughts of my heart, may the meditation of, of every heart in this room, may it be pleasing to you, O God, our rock. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So look with me first at uh, verse 1. And we're going to see the author, and it's kind of obvious. It says, Paul, Paul, comma, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So uh, this is where it gets a little bit fun. So if, if you can kind of look at Philippians and look at Colossians, if you look at Philippians and you just flip back maybe two pages, maybe three, depending on the size of your Bible. So flip left just a little bit. Paul says about himself in Philippians, he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus. Jesus, and then the servanthood, both of Paul and others and Christ, then follows kind of, there's a train of thought of servanthood all the way through Philippians. Very interesting. Here in Colossians, Paul calls himself not a servant, but an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So what an apostle is, you need to know this. An apostle was an official representative of Christ. That was the role. 
he was clothed then with the authority of Christ. So as Paul is writing this letter, he is writing as the apostle to the Colossian church, and he writes under the authority of Christ himself. This is not Paul the man writing, no, this is Paul writing with authority, the authority of Christ Jesus. Well, we are going to find out later uh, in the background, the reason for writing in the background of, of Colossae is that Paul did not plant this church. This was a church that Paul did not plant. He didn't travel there and set up the church, set up elders. It came through Epaphras. Therefore, Paul uses this part in the introduction. This is important. Paul uses this part in the introduction to show the church at Colossae that what he is writing carries authority. I'm writing with authority. Because here's the deal. He's establishing his credentials because there's a false teaching and he's got to confront it. And so he's going to confront it not with, I am Paul, hear me roar. But he's going to confront it with, I come as an ambassador, if you want to write that word, an ambassador of Christ. So, you can write above apostle, you can write ambassador, or you can write authority. If you want to write that in your Bible, go, go right ahead, so that you understand this is what Paul's doing. I'm establishing my authority. And then it goes on. So, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, by the will of God, that, that ends that clause. His office of apostle, his call in all of his life is linked with the very will of God. And he did not choose this position. He did not run for office of apostle. And you can see Acts 9 if you want proof of it. You have to read it on your own. But in short, Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the unmerited favor of God to him. That's the whole point of it. He did not strive for this position. He certainly did not earn the position. It was a gift freely given by a gracious and merciful and loving God. So feel free to write above the phrase, by the will of God. By grace. So he has authority by grace. That's where he's coming from. And just a quick aside for us as teachers. Teachers, any authority that we have in this room or seniors or anybody in this room with any sort of authority, it is due to the grace of God in your life. It surely is. It's sheer gift. It is sheer gift. And so I pray for each of us, that, that our desire in our authority is to uplift the magnificence of Christ and how wonderful he is and how worthy he is. That's the whole point of any authority. It is to show forth the grace of God to further the kingdom, not to hoard it, not to use it for selfish gain. So, there's your author, Paul. Date. It's in 62 AD. He also wrote at that time Philemon and Ephesians. So you will see 
a lot of similarities between Colossians and Ephesians, so do not be surprised and don't, don't pick up your Bible and throw it at the chapel speaker if, if, if things get complicated in Colossians, if they use Ephesians to help interpret Colossians. That's okay. That's okay. Um, people, uh, scholars look at Colossians sort of as a, uh, a mini Ephesians, kind of a, an abridged Ephesians. Um, and oh, by the way, Paul is still in prison. So this brother's in prison still. And that leads to the background. So look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It's written to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That's your audience. Duh. So it's written to the saints, faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. It's written to that church. The church was planted by Epaphras. If you have your Bibles open, look down to verse 7 of chapter 1. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So they learned it from him. They heard it from him. And this is the same Epaphras that we learned of in Philippians, known in Philippians as Epaphroditus. Epaphras is the shortened uh, name of Epaphroditus. And, and so this is what my research shows me. So remember, in Philippians, Paul sends the letter to the church at Philippi with Epaphroditus. He goes to Philippi. He delivers the letter. Because he had planted the church at Colossae, I'm then led to deduce that he goes on to Colossae. He then hears of a horrific teaching that is going on at Colossae. So then he goes back to Rome to hear from Paul, what do I tell this church? Please speak, O Paul, as an apostle to this church because they're jacked up. Help them get unjacked up. And they're jacked up because they're believing something that is wrong. And so that then leads to the reason for writing. So here's the reason. A dangerous teaching had come into Colossae. And that's very important. Okay? Students? There are lots of dangerous teachings out there. Lots of them. Teachers, there's lots of dangerous teachings out there that we can teach and lead our kids astray. Now, when it comes to Colossae, uh, scholars debate and argue about what, what is the nature of the teaching. I'm not going to get into that, but what we do see is a myriad of warnings. It's warning after warning after warning after warning, and the false teaching section is primarily focused in chapter 2, so if you would, just flip there with me. I just want to give just the warnings of Paul, because this is important. This is why he wrote the letter, because there's a false teaching. So verse 4, I just want to highlight this. Verse 4, I say this, I'm not going to get into this, <laughs> I say this in order, the purpose, that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So there's a warning. Delude, in, in the Greek, it's, it's, it's to play false, it's to reason falsely. Uh, para legazamai, lagazamai, I think. Sorry, Mr. Chuff, Patrick Chuff, over there. there. Um, para, meaning 
opposite of true reason. So false reason. So here comes a delusion using false reason to delude you, to pull you away. Be careful, O Colossae. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You know that from the truth project, from lies, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's a, a dangerous, deceitful philosophy that's out there. Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So now there's arguments over food and drink. and How do we celebrate the, the high holy days? What do we do? Or Sabbath? How do we? How do we? Be careful. Warning, warning, warning. Don't let anyone disqualify you. No one pass judgment on you. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, uh, insisting on asceticism. Asceticism. You're not going to stump the prof with that one. He knows it. But do you know it? Asceticism is the idea of ultimate self-denial. So I don't, I don't do anything. I just sit in my little corner and I beat myself up if I have a bad thought. Uh, you hear of this in the Middle Ages where, where Christians, if they had a lustful thought, they'd jump into rose bushes. Owie, yeah, the owl. Owie. Asceticism. In worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. That's verse 18. And then verses 21 through 23. All of this is warning. And, and again, remember hermeneutics, repetition, 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 repetition. This is serious stuff. This is serious. So 21 through 23, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is what is being said. According to human precepts and teachings, these have an appearance, appearance. Note that it has an appearance of wisdom. appearance. Note that. But not real wisdom, just an appearance. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. There's that word again, asceticism and severity to the body. Oh, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is serious, serious stuff. This is a cancer that is growing in the church at Colossae. Plausible arguments, captivity by philosophy and empty deceit, human tradition, asceticism, human precepts, appearance of wisdom, self-made religion. And may I just linger here a bit more and apply it to you today. Yeah, you're stuck here. So sorry, you get to. You students, you're heading out and you are in a world of delusion. false reason. You are heading out into a world full of plausible arguments, full of empty deceit, full of human tradition. And the, the biggest thing out there right now is rampant secularism. It's all over the place. 
And the sad yet glorious thing that is happening right now is that blinders of Christians are starting to come off to this reality. And we are able to see more clearly than ever what sort of evil lurks out there. And I'm going to make a statement that might make some of you cringe, including our teachers. You have to stop assuming neutrality of the culture. So write that down. You might not make, that may not make any sense to you. You have to stop assuming that the culture is neutral. Okay, this is my Bill Hansberger part. You have to stop assuming that the culture is neutral as regard the things of God. People are not neutral to God. They're not. Our society is not neutral. Our society hates Christ. So do colleges. So does our media. So does public schooling. So do governmental offices. So do so-called experts. So do entertainment, sports, movies, social media, apps on your phones, influencers, YouTubers, dare I say, in every area of our society, and sadly, even in some so-called churches, there is an antipathy, a hatred for Christ and for his word. And you need to know that. If you engage in math, math is now racist and part of white supremacy. If you go off to college and you engage what is called the soft sciences, the ology, sociology, anthropology, and the like, you will come up against Facebook and it's 58 or 59 or however many genders there are now. You will come across people like Maslow and the self-centered idea of the hierarchy of needs, the man-centered hierarchy of needs. If you go into education, they will base much of their learning and teaching across the legacy of three men, a guy named Dewey, a guy named Horace Mann, and a guy named Bloom. And all of them hated Christ. All of them. All of them. And they desired, they desired that you would be suitable for factory work and they would teach you to disregard what your parents have taught you. So question everything, especially the faith that your, your parents are teaching you. That's Dewey. That's Bloom. That's Horace Mann. It's everywhere in education. And so if you want to go into education, there you go. Stand in front of your school and just say, hate Christ, and you're you, A+. Plus. Dewey applauds, man applauds, Bloom applauds, good job, you win. And quite frankly, you lose. But if you decide, nah, I'll go to a Christian school. They love Christ there. <laughs> oh, dear. Nope. Two stalwart universities, and I'll call them out, Moody, Wheaton College, now have 
social justice majors because they've bought the lie of this culture. They have taken a dive off the deep end. All that stuff that Bill Hansberger comes here and tells you about, they are doing it. So Christian colleges are catching the disease of our culture. And I just heard that 103, 103 Christian colleges supported the murder of children in the womb by supporting Planned Parenthood. That's your Christian colleges. So you go there, everything's going to be okay. Nope. Students, teachers, again, write this down. There is no neutrality. You have to stop assuming it. That's the empty, vain, horrible, horrible philosophy that has run amok in our society today. The so-called idea of a neutral society. Biblically, again, the world despises Christ, fallen man hates Christ, and we are sending all of you out. In six years or less, all of you will be out of here unless some of you seventh graders want to do like a super senior year. That's it. In six years, all of you will be gone. All of you will be gone. Okay, Mr. Z, you just scared me. What shall we do? Glad you asked. Paul addressed this actually in chapter 5 of Colossians. So if you want to turn there, he says this, O Colossians, the culture is going to hell in a handbasket, so you, O church, run to the hills, flee into your bunker, and hide. Wait, you don't, wait. You don't, you don't have Colossians 5? Oh, I don't, I don't either. So let's actually look at what the Bible tells us to do. And I want to start in chapter 4, and I want to start simply with the prayer of Epaphras. And it's in verse 12, because Epaphras knows this church. So what do we do? This world is run amok. We get that, Mr. Z. We get it. What shall we do? And I want to go first to Epaphras and then trace it through with Paul. Epaphras knows them so well. Listen to how he prays for them. Paul Quotes it. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that, this is how he prays for them, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, that you may stand mature, that you may stand fully assured in all the will of God. That is the prayer of Epaphras for them. And just a brief aside, Epaphras knows these people. He knows them. He knows exactly what they need. He knows exactly how to pray for them. And just a brief question for you and an application for you. Are you known? Are you known? Are you known to agree a degree where a fellow brother or sister in Christ knows exactly what you need to have prayed for you? Are you known? Should be easy. 
our lives are open books and social media and all these platforms and all of that, but does somebody really know you and knows this is how I need to pray for this person? So then the reading for writing leads Epaphras to pray this way, and ONC students, stand mature. Stand mature. Put away the silly games. Quit acting like boys. Act like men. Don't act like little girls. Act like women of God. Stand mature. And fully assured in all the will of God. And Paul's going to flush this out, what it looks like. And here comes the theme. So we're finally getting to the theme. So all of that was the reason for the writing Here's the theme. This is what it means to stand mature. This is what it means to stand fully assured in all the will of God. You ready? Here's your theme. Christ is Lord over all. Christ is Lord over all. He's supreme. He is sovereign. He is ruler of all rulers. He is king of all kings. He is Lord of all lords. He is the chief despot. He rules over all. He is the dictator of the dictators. He is the president of the presidents. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the A and the Z, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's your Jesus. And this sovereign, reigning, ruling Lord Jesus Christ secures our redemption. And through faith, we become united to him, and we hold fast to him. So in short, part one of the sermon is done. <laughs> Author, Paul. Date, 62 AD. Background, Paul is writing to a church he did not plant, but is the apostle over. Reason for writing, dangerous teaching had come into Colossae. And the theme, Christ is Lord over all. For the second part of the sermon, I'd like to trace the theme and apply it as best as I possibly can. So go back with me to chapter one. <clears throat> so part one, again, we did author, date, background, reason, theme. Part two, now we're going to drive this theme home. All right. Again, sorry, I do two sermons in one. Sorry, Gordon. Um, so here we go. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means master. He's the master. He's the, the Lord. He's one. He's not one among many. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the owner of everything. If you Scan down to verse 10 of chapter 1. You are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In verse 13, you are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Christ not only is Lord, he is king. He is king of all kings. In verses 15 through 18, and with apologies to whoever's got that, you just get it twice. This is probably the most important, most beautiful, glorious, awesome passage in this entire book. In verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
for by him, this is about Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Look at the pre, pre, uh, pre, pre, I can't talk. prepositions. Look at the prepositions in verse 16 and 17. In 16, by him all things were made in heaven and earth, meaning everywhere. And, and if you missed it, in heaven and on earth, and then he keeps going. This is so Pauline. He just keeps going. Visible, invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, everything. Everything created by him. Created through him. Created for him. And therein lies your purpose in life. I'm so tired of weak sauce preaching that is out there in the church. Oh, just come to Christ and you'll have all your needs fulfilled and you'll find purpose. And usually the purpose is all about you. Oh, you'll, you'll find meaning in your life and yay and happy dippy dippy dippy. The Bible couldn't be any further from that. It's not about you and your fulfillment. It's about Christ. You exist for Christ. You exist for his glory. He's not an accoutrement. He's not a little necklace you put on and take off at your whim. He is Lord. On to verse 17. He is before all things. He's the greatest thing imaginable. He's greater than all. In him, in him, all things hold together. Oh, students, don't you see? Don't you see? You're held together by Christ. You have your coherence because of Christ. Without him, you would evaporate. And then lastly, look at the last phrase in verse 18. That he might be preeminent. Pre, before, in time, in place, eminent, rising above others. The idea is surpassing authority. Authority over all authorities. He's the highest in precedent. He is the top rank. He is the highest distinction. He is the champion of all champions. By the way, this is why English class is so important. God is a communicative God. God speaks. He gave us a word. We must be diligent in our understanding of the word. We must be diligent. Every single word matters to God. Every word. Jesus says that you will be judged for every idle word. Words matter.
Christian, we want to know the mind of Christ, so we have to be diligent with our knowledge of English class. I wish I knew English better. On we go. Chapter 2, verse 6. And in all of these in chapter 2, these serve as contrasts to the warning. Okay? I don't want to steal, I think it's Dan Woods, and I certainly don't want to steal Gordon's Thunder. Um, but I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 9. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's over all of that, over all rule, over all authority. Verse 16, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. Christ is the reason why God is able to disarm the rulers and the authorities in this world. Verse 19 of chapter 2, you hold fast to the head who is Christ. He's the head. Chapter 3 and verse 1, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is in the place of authority. Chapter 3 and verse 17, you are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 18 of chapter 3, wives submit as is fitting in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 20, kids, children, obey. For it pleases the Lord. 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters, fearing the Lord. 323, work unto the Lord and not to men. 324, from the Lord, you receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. Three more. 4-1, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you have a mm, big M master in heaven. Verse 7, Tychicus, a fellow servant in the Lord, in verse 17, Archippus, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Let's summarize. The God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands as ruler over all. He triumphed over the rulers and the authorities. Most view this as the demonic realm. He defeated them. Therefore, honor him as Lord. Do all in his name. Obey your parents in your work. Work for Christ. Christ is Lord. Okay, we get it. We get it. Paul's serious about this. So what? Glad you asked. So I've got some questions for you, some thoughts. I don't have questions per se for e-group time which the schedulers were wise. They put e-group time on Friday because they know me. <sighs> Going to be no e-group time today. Um, but write these down for Friday. And think about these. Okay? Uh, we, don't, we don't come up with these questions oh, willy-nilly. Oh, no, no, think! From Colossians 1.3. The Lord Jesus Christ, kurios, means master or owner. Here's your question. Could you, could we, let's go there, could we look at your life and say, yep, Christ owns that person? Or are you just like everyone else? 
The great theologian Bob Dylan once wrote, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And I'll evaluate me, and my friends will evaluate me, and you do the same. Who do you serve? Or are you like this? I'm not an artist. Sorry, Mrs. J. This is my Jesus box. And I like to pull this out on Sunday mornings. And Wednesday mornings when I'm not sleepy and Zanger's not droning on and on and on and when I like the chapel speaker. And I'll pull it out sometimes on Wednesday nights at youth group. And I'll pull it out sometimes for Bible class. Not all the time. And as soon as I'm done with those, I'm going to close up the box and I'm going to put it aside. And there's my little Jesus box. Now, Here's my sports box. I really love sports. I mean, I really love sports. And now, when I go out on the sports box, Jesus tries to speak to me there, but I just shut him up. Because in reality, this is all about me, baby. This is about me scoring my points this is about me getting my stats. This is about me getting my picture in the paper. This is about me being the eagle of the week. This is about me, 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 me. And maybe I'll give a little lip service to Jesus if somebody asks me. But ultimately, within the bounds of this court, it's about me. And Jesus likes to speak into it, but you know what? Shut up. my sports box. And now, this is probably, should be a bigger box. This is my entertainment box. This is what I like to do with my time. This is what I like to read. This is what I like to talk to my friends about. And, and Jesus over here keeps peeping up. You probably shouldn't watch that. Is this honoring to me? Nah, shut up. Get into my entertainment. Get into my sports. Look at all these cool dances I'm learning. Look at the hours I have spent on all of these platforms. Look at the movies I watch. Listen, or certainly don't listen to what I listen to. Please don't search my internet history, because I know what I've looked at. And Jesus certainly doesn't like what I look at. But that's okay. Jesus is just in that little box. And I bring him out when I want to. And then I have a student box. This is for all the other times that I'm not in Bible class. Because I've bifurcated life. And I view life simply as I have a Jesus realm and I have the rest of my life realm. 
and here is my student box. I have to get grades, baby. I got to get scholarships. I got to get that 33 on the ACT so I can go to one of those universities you're telling me to be aware of so that they can brainwash me into believing that everything I'm learning here at school is false and spend thousands of dollars to get that brainwashed into you and go into hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt to be brainwashed into everything that you believe is wrong. That's my student box. This is my family box. And I honor my parents only when it's suitable to me. Only when they say something that I like and is agreeable with the way that I am. But if they say something that I don't want to do, well, I'll just pout. I'll, I'll do it, but I won't do it with joy. And I'll throw a little hissy fit, whether outside or inside, because ultimately, I know more than my parents. My parents are stupid, and God was dumb to send them to be my parents. And oh, by the way, Jesus is trying to speak into all of these, and what do we do? That's what we do. There's my family box. Oh, last one. And then I have a friend's box. The problem is, I have this friend box, which is my Christian friends. And Jesus, who I just threw away over here, he's cool in this box. Oh, how's the Lord? Oh, he's so good. He's so good. How good? Oh, he's so good. Do you read your Bible? No, but I'm trying. How was camp? How camp was awesome. How was weekend? Oh, it was awesome. How was church? Oh, it was oh, so boring. I fell asleep, but oh, it's, it's church and it's good. How was Bible class? Oh, it's so dumb. It's so dumb, but it's okay. I mean, we're Christians here, right? And then you have, sorry, I was running out of boxes. Don't judge me. I have my other friends. So I have my Christian friends, but then I have my other friends who are not my Christian friends. And Jesus most definitely is not in this box. And I live just like them. I talk just like them. I watch what they watch. I do what they do. I'm just like them when I'm with them and I'm just like these people when I'm with these people. And we could go on and on and on. And we would lose second period and third and fourth. We wouldn't eat lunch. We'd be here all day and one of you would fall over and die. And I'm not the Apostle Paul and I couldn't raise you from the grave. And that would be sad. Here's the truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over everything. And what this is, this is compartmentalization of your faith. 
I got my Jesus box, and then I got all these other boxes. And Jesus doesn't speak into those. Or when he does, I cut my ears and I say, no, I'm not listening. So look again, think through those verses. Christ is Lord over your sports. And so this is the proper view. He's Lord over your sports. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you haven't? Any skill set that your coaches have is a gift from the Lord. Your coaches are a gift from the Lord to you. Your ability to execute plays, it's a gift from the Lord to you. He's Lord over your sports. He's Lord over your entertainment. And so my deep prayer for you is that your entertainment is something that falls underneath the lordship of Christ, that he's everything. And I use my time to glorify him, to know him. I want to know him. Or do we actually think that at the same time we honor Christ we can then watch stuff that is so vile and disgusting and godless and say, yeah, that's cool. Okay, with that, that's awesome. Christ is Lord over you being a student. Again, any gift that you have comes from him. Oh, by the way, in him all things hold together. Folks, if you put everything that you have into your sports life, it's going to fail you. I promise you. You put everything you have into being a good student, getting that 33. You never get it. And you put all of your hope, I want to get into Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Williams, whatever and you don't get it. He's Lord over your family. Good night. You want to be a rebel? Honor your parents. No one does that now. The entire world has gone amok, and we want to live just like them? Honor your parents. Wow, how about that for a novel idea? Might go well for you, because it's like a promise or something. I remember hearing that and reading that somewhere. That it may go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your parents, kids. And then your friends, lastly, should all fall under the Lordship of Christ. Your Christian friends, you should be encouraging each other in the Lord, helping each other grow. 
keeping each other accountable, keeping each other away from the trappings of sin and deceit. And with your non-Christian friends, you are reaching out and plucking them as it were out of the fire. Christ is Lord over your friends. Let me close with this. Chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And if you're sitting there like me, and you look and you say, ah, ah, nowhere close. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. Together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by nailing the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Come to Jesus. Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose for people who are sinners. Trust him. Come to Jesus. Christ sent his spirit to empower believers for the good works that are prepared for you to walk in. Trust in him. Come to Jesus. Christ gave us his body, the church, to walk with us and help us through life. Trust him. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the oh <laughs> in the mess of our lives, in the sin of our lives, Lord God, you break through. Where we have blown it, where we are two-faced, where we are hypocritical, where we are walking through this life with Christ in a small box. Might we see from Colossians now and throughout this semester that Christ is Lord over all. He's Lord over every single person in this room. And as the king, he commands every single one of us in this room to repent and trust in him. And so, Lord God, I pray, might you awaken faith in people today. Might you awaken strengthening by the Holy Spirit to live righteously unto Christ for his sake, for his glory, and for ultimately our true joy. For Lord God, we know that when we do not live according to your standard, huh, the misery is uncalculable. And so may we submit ourselves underneath the lordship of Christ, the power of Christ, the word of Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.